Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the House of Pain Studios as our fake studio sponsorships are back. And I'm here to talk to you solo about everything I saw at 2023 Georgia Spring Football Practice. So it's kind of become an English tradition where I, as a football coach, pay a little money, head up to Athens, and go to the UGA High School Coaches Football Clinic. They allow us to watch two practices, one on Thursday and one on Saturday, and to have one-on-one interactions with the coaches in addition to having speakers and sitting in their film sessions. I got to see about two hours of practice on Thursday and about another hour and a half on Saturday, and I got to absorb a lot of knowledge about X and O's and also a lot about the UJ football program. So I'm going to do my best to give you a very condensed version of what I saw, answer the questions that people actually care about, and I will also leave you the option to hit me up with any further questions or observations that I can make to offer you insight on your favorite Bulldogs. So let's jump right into it with what people really want to know, and that is the personnel. So starting up front, the OL was much as expected. You had Amarius Mims at right tackle, Tate Ratledge at right guard, Van Pran at center, and Trust at right guard. Now the surprise was Austin Blasky taking reps over Ernest Green at left tackle, at least on Saturday. And I think Green did take some first-team reps. And just so you know, there was a lot of mix, mixing and matching these offensive line pieces. At one point, Blasky slid over to center, and they bumped Van Pran over to guard. So they were definitely mixing and matching a lot of these pieces. The other linemen that I saw getting a lot of run with the first team were Ernest Green, number 71, and number 55, Jared Wilson. And I wasn't really familiar with Wilson, but he's someone that got a lot of reps with the first group. Moving along to the running backs, Milton was at practice on Thursday, but after a few reps, he went off the field, and I'm assuming he was hurt because it's Kendall Milton and he's generally hurt. He didn't practice at all in any of the reps that I saw on Saturday. Dejon Edwards, I didn't even see on the field, so I'm assuming he has some kind of injury in the spring. And so Branson Robinson was the RB1 for most of the time that I got to watch. And the DBs had a great time thudding up on him. Uh, There were some pretty interesting uh, plays there in the secondary. Um, Robinson looks like what you think. He's strong and physical. He's even thicker in person than he looks on TV. Um, Doesn't have that Nick Chubb juice. I know he gets that comparison a lot. But when you see him in person, like his straight line's good. But he doesn't have that Nick Chubb freakish burst. But, man, he is... Just a low to tackle. Um, I will say that he didn't look great catching the ball. Got a few swing wraps thrown to him. and he just He's not a natural catcher yet. It's something he's going to have to work on, but he's got plenty of time to do that. Uh, Roger Thomas, uh, number zero, six foot, 235-pound, a true freshman from Imperial, California. He took the three reps along with um, Savon Clark, who has been in Georgia for several years now as a backup running back. Thomas... Didn't really impress me, to be honest. He looked kind of heavy-footed. He's short and stocky. He's, I think, even heavier than uh, Branson Robinson. He's listed at six foot two thirty-five, and he looks kind of like a bowling ball, but like maybe like a kind of guy who might need to drop ten to twelve pounds to really be a running back. But he was a load. But again, he wasn't very impressive in the reps that I saw. And he did get a lot of totes and a lot of touches. And Savon Clark actually looked like. 
Savon Clark. He was pretty good in the reps that he got, but he's going against 13 defense. At tight end, it was pretty predictable. It was Brock Bowers, Oscar Delp, and Lawson Lucky. Lucky got a lot of reps, and he was up and down. You can tell they really like him, but he got a lot of very hard coaching when I was out there. Dropped several passes. It was actually kind of surprising. A couple of easy passes, but dropped multiple passes while I was out there. Missed a few blocks in space. Got coached hard, but he was out there mixing it up with the first and second team. He's clearly the third tight end behind Delp and Brock Bowers, and he's clearly going to get playing time. Um, and you could tell that he has potential, but he's just he's just green. And uh, he's not quite the athlete that Bowers and Delp are, but, man, he's he's good-looking. Like, to think of that kid was in high school last year, he is a really mature body uh, prospect. At wide receiver, it was Rosemary, Jack Saint, and Lad McConkey. At the other outside receiver spot, there was a lot of variation. Out of the guys that I saw, Arian Smith really stood out. I thought he looked amazing. <laughs> He was healthy, and when he got open, it was by 10 to 12 yards. And, boy, he probably had three or four reps that would have been touchdowns if the ball had been thrown to him, but the ball was thrown to the people. And he ran a post route. I don't remember who it was against. One of the – I think it, was, it might have been even Javon Bullard and just destroyed him, beat him by, like, 12 yards. And one of the freshmen – I think it might have been Julian Humphrey on a go route. He beat by, like, 12 yards. It was it was ridiculous. Um, he looks amazing. Um, he even caught a slant and got vertical. So, he, to me, stood out. Rosemary Jack Saint looked good. And there was also a lot of reps for Jackson Meeks, Denylon Morissette, uh, Dylan Bell, and Robert Thomas. I didn't see as much of Dominic Lovett's reps. And just so you know, these guys, Lovett's wearing number six in the spring. Robert Thomas is wearing five. So when you see the spring game, you look for them. Obviously, Bell and Morissette played a, a little bit last year. Bell actually played a good bit last year. Also, CJ Thomas, who's supposed to be like the next Arian Smith. He's like a 10-3, 10-200 kid. He's like 6'2", 6'3". He looks really good in the second team. He is smooth. He is fast. He looks very, very good. So uh, you might be expecting big things from him, if not this year or the next year. But the real surprise out of the group was Makai Muse, who is the walk-on superstar. And he absolutely destroyed our second and third units. Now, I actually coached against Muse and his high school career at Central Gwinnett. He was a really good player, all-state receiver, and or an all-county receiver. And he was 5'8", 170, and he wasn't a burner. So he didn't have a lot of offers coming out of high school. But while he'll never play a meaningful snap for Georgia, he was an absolute handful on short and immediate routes. And out of all the receivers, if they were keeping stats, he would have led the team in receptions and yards and even yards after catch by a mile. They had the hardest time keeping up with his route running quickness and his with his quickness and his route running savvy. So he stood out as a walk-on who, you know, was never going to play, but just looked really good in spring. Now, of course, the position everybody wants to know about is quarterback, and they did rotate a lot of snaps between Beck with the first team and Vandergrift with the first team. Stockton was pretty clearly the third-team QB, but Vandergrift and Beck took a lot of snaps um, with the first team, obviously with Beck being the true number one. That was clear. And Beck, for the most part, did look the best. He looked really good on Thursday. He just – he's got arm talent, y'all. He, he makes throws. He gets the ball quickly. He, he's good. And Vandergriff is probably the one that I was the most impressed with as far as seeing his growth from, like, when he got here to where he is now. Like his accuracy and ball placement was really, really good and really, really on point, as was his athleticism. 
they had a lot of designed runs for him, and when he runs the ball, he looks extremely athletic, which is not a secret. He's, he's a great athlete. He's also, and I said this last year, dude's jacked. He's absolutely jacked. I mean, he just looks like a stud athlete. But um, one of the things at Vandergrift that you could also tell was he is not as fast of a processor as Beck, and there are multiple reps where he's holding the ball, holding the ball, scrambling, looking, 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 to the point where Kirby, even on one or two occasions, actually says, Cut it loose. Get rid of the ball. Get rid of the ball. Throw it, throw it, throw it, Brock. Throw it, Brock. And so it was to the point where actually Kirby is wanting him to get rid of the ball. And there are some times where he's holding the ball, and you could see there was a route developing downfield he didn't see or a route on the backside of the play call that he didn't see. And so he's still growing in his processing, as you can tell. He seems like he is more of a one- or two-read quarterback or half-field read quarterback, which you can win with. But I don't think he's to a point where he can do some of the stuff that Stetson Bennett did last year where he's skiing across the field coming to his third or fourth progression and then making accurate throws. But when he did decide where the ball was going, it got there in a hurry, and it got there very accurately. As he had some great back shoulder throws and some really good ball placement. Then there was Gunnar Stockton, who the scuttlebutt is that he is supposedly the beloved child in the quarterback room, but... Looking at this, he was clearly the most green, made a lot of aggressive throws that weren't necessarily the right reads, threw the ball in traffic, put the ball up in trouble a little bit. He is decisive, but sometimes his decisions don't put the ball in the right place. And he had some – he was probably the only quarterback that just had a lot of just straight-up misses. I say a lot. He had a lot more just straight-up misses than I saw out of Vandergrift for Beck. So if you were asking me to rank them, I would say – I would say Beck is clearly 1A, but Vandergriff looks like more of a 1B than a true 2. And, like, he's really going to have a shot to win it, I think. Um, Beck definitely would be the favorite. And I would say that Stockton is pretty clearly the 3 at this point. But, man, his athleticism was on display as they used him in a lot of design runs also. And when he cuts that ball loose, he threw a couple of just gorgeous fade routes down the sideline that you were just like, oh my gosh, this guy's arm talent is unreal. And that was really the case for all of them. Uh, the one thing that I will also add is that Vandergriff was really reluctant to cut the ball loose deep. I'm not sure why, but he kept the ball all underneath a lot of throws, and he looked good throwing on the run and scrambling, but he didn't take as many aggressive downfield throws, whereas Beck and Stockton did. So just an observation I had while I was there. Don't know that it means anything. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, the D-line on the front seven was led by the old heads, you know, Brinson and Logue. Um, Ingram Dawkins also was rotating in a lot. And those three are the three that are going to play a lot in the middle. I didn't see as much Bear Alexander or Michael Williams. And they might have been rotating in. I just didn't catch them. I did try to spend a good bit of my time watching the back end because, honestly, as a coach, that's what I was there for. And so I'm sure they got reps and got quarter reps, but they were not who I saw. And Logue stood up in particular. I remember there was one play where they had a screen pass to the outside, and Zion Logue sprints 40 yards down the field to try to cut off the guy running with the ball. And that just really impressed me. He got some love from his coach for that. At the outside linebacker positions, you had Chamless and Marvin Jones Jr. And, oh, my gosh, I don't know how that guy is an OLB. He is enormous. I walked right past him in some of their drill work, and God, he is all of 6'5", and however they, however much they list him at, but he is enormous. On the roster, he says he's 250, and I believe it, um, but he is enormous. And I don't know how that guy's going to be able to do some of the stuff they ask those outside linebackers to do as far as coverage, but he is a monster. And 
I didn't see one of the things that we thought we might see, which is someone like Jalen Walker being moved outside and getting reps there. I didn't see that. What I did see was Dare Smith, who's going to be number 19 in spring. He took a lot of the two reps at outside linebacker and looked good in the reps that I saw, from what I could tell. Also, Chaz Chandler's got a lot of pass rushing reps. I think that's something they really want him to work on this spring because I saw him even in some of their um, smaller-sided drills getting work, and he's really working on bending around the edge, and he was getting like <laughs> like a foot off the ground in some of these rushes. He's still not a very polished pass rusher. He didn't do a lot of it in high school, but you can tell it's something he's really worked on. And I wouldn't be surprised that's an area where you really see his production spike this year. They used him a lot to blitz and press the quarterback in spring, which is, again, something that wasn't really his trademark coming out of Carrollton High School. At the inside backers, you had Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Smile Munden, which was what you expected. and Both looked good, but, man, Munden looks like that dude. He looks like he's going to be the next freak inside linebacker, like the next Quay Walker. I mean, like, he's clearly put on some muscle, and he can run, and, man, he just looks like a dude. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the highest drafted player off this defense next year. Like, that's, that's a real possibility. And I didn't see as much of Jalen Walker as I thought I would see, but I did see lots of EJ Lightsley and Xavier Sorry. Lightsley had some pops, but he also had some struggles in coverage. He was getting coached pretty hard, but you could tell they really like him. And he had some great plays, but also he got a lot of butt chewings. And Xavier Sorry, he's just really athletic and – I've heard that he's kind of been in the doghouse there, but, man, he got a lot of two reps, and he looks really good. And those guys are just really good athletes, especially Sori. He's just a really good athlete. Now, what's interesting is what they did in the secondary. At safety, they had Javon Bullard starting next to Malachi Starks with Tyke Smith down in the slot at the star. You probably didn't have that on your Georgia Bulldogs bingo card as a lineup that you would see. I personally thought that Smith and Bullard would be flipped, but they had Smith down at star and Bullard clearly back at deep safety with Malachi Starks, and that was how they lined up the entire time. I honestly thought David Daniel Sisava would factor in here because he's been a like a two, it feels like, since he got to UJ, but he was still clear too, and they didn't use him unless they went to their dime package and they brought him in as their, um, I guess, really their fourth safety. But... Uh, Tyke was good in run support and playing screens, but I don't think he's as athletic. I don't think he is as athletic or as good in coverage as Bullard. But man, is he physical and he looks just really strong. And Bullard didn't look quite as comfortable at safety. You know, in star, you get to play a lot of man. And so at the deep safeties, you're having to do a lot more reading, reacting, and thinking. And he just looked a step slower in his recognition at times. And it's kind of to be expected. And one of the other ones that stood out was Janelle Aguero, who I didn't know. He was number eight in the spring, was looking, was working as a second-team star. I didn't know he was, but I saw a guy lined up that I thought was an outside backer. But I was like, okay, he's kind of small to be an outside backer. But he's bigger and thicker than most of our DBs because, you know, Starks and, and Bullard and Tyke Smith are all, you know, roughly 200 pounds or less and 5'11"-ish. Um, Bullard's less than that even as far as weight. But this guy was a little bit thicker and – Aguero's listed as 5'11", 205, and he looks thicker and bigger than that, but he looks like more of what you traditionally looking for at Star, which is kind of like a safety OLB hybrid. He looks like a kid that's going to end up being 210 or 215 by the time he leaves Georgia, and he popped, looked really good playing down in the Star. 
Uh, out at cornerback, we all know that last year was a CB1. And after that, it was a mixture of Green, Everett, and Humphrey. Nylon Green took the first team reps the first day that I was there. Everett was taking the second reps along with uh, Julian Humphrey. But Saturday, Humphrey took all the reps the ones, and Green and Everett took all the reps together as co-2s. Smoke Bowie, who is the transfer from Texas A&M, was pretty clearly behind those three at this point. And while Smoke Bowie is listed at like 5'11", 180, he looks way smaller than that. And compared to guys like Nylon Green, who's 6'1", and has like go-go gadget arms, he just looks so tiny compared to our other corners. Um, the cornerback play itself wasn't great. Uh, a lot more holding and PI calls than you would like to see because if you didn't know, they do have referees at practice to pay the local refs to come out and officiate their uh, competition drills. And they looked a little shaky in run support. There is one rep where Dalen Everett gets caught up by Kirby and run off the field because he basically says, uh, Coach Coach Fran, because that's the name of their uh, – Coach, Coach Brown, that's the name of their DB's coach. Get Dalen Everett off the field. He passed up a thud. And I think it might have been one of those plays where it was Branson Robinson running the ball, and <laughs> I wouldn't want to thud him either. But – where they did excel was, man, the secondary looks really good in the red zone, and they were absolutely mugging the UJ receivers. So they were clearly coached to be very, very physical in the red zone, and they were just, I mean, it was it was honestly getting away with a lot of holding and just beating up the receivers in the red zone, but the offense really struggled to move the ball in the red zone against them. And that was not the case all over the field, but in the red zone, the defense really owned the day. So that kind of creates a natural segue into some talk about the scheme. And on offense, just a few things that I noticed was there was still a lot of RPO in our offense, more than I can remember Bobo running in the past. So that's one of the holdovers from Munkin that we still do see. There was lots of RPO, a lot of it off counter, and a lot of quarterback run action off of regular run plays. So they would do a play like split zone where the tight end crosses the formation and usually kicks out the defensive end. What they would just do is they would have that tight end arc around the defensive end and continue going, and the quarterback would follow him. And Brock Vandergriff hit a really big run on that um, on the defense on Thursday when I was watching. So there was lots of Q read and Q run. There was also more crossing routes. Um, the defense really struggled to cover these. More crossing routes than I can remember. And not just the kind they would throw traditionally to Bowers and Darnell Washington. Lad McConkey destroyed our first group with these crossing routes. They could not cover him, and he was beating our star and our high safeties a lot. And I saw I saw Tyke Smith and Javon Buller chasing him across the field a lot. And as I already mentioned, you had that walk on Makai Muse just killing our second team with these crossing routes. So that seems to be an area of our offense that's a little bit of a tweak from what we've done in the past. Also, still lots of 12 personnel, usually with Delp attached and Bowers at H-back as the move tied in. One of the wrinkles I saw that was new was they motioned Delp into the backfield alongside Branson Robinson and kept them into both pass protect while they ran a vertical route with only three receivers. And Delp completely whipped on his block and they got pressure. I think it was on Brock Vandergriff. And the routes were not open because the secondary had the receivers outnumbered five to three. So it didn't work, but it was an interesting little wrinkle. And one of the other things that I saw was there was a ton of vertical routes. I mean, they were sending a lot of guys deep, especially anytime Aaron's missing the game, you better be ready for him to run the ball, run deep. And um, even though there's a lot of vertical routes, the quarterbacks weren't necessarily pulling the trigger on a lot of vertical throws. 
Stockton was, <laughs> but as I mentioned earlier, um, not as many of those out of Brock Vandergriff. And Beck was cutting the ball loose deep, and there were some good throws and post routes. Go routes they didn't win a lot of. I was actually a little bit disappointed. This is one of the things that I saw was there was a lot of dropped passes. And I mean like drops that guys should have. Robert Thomas dropped a couple. I already mentioned Lawson Lucky dropped a couple. Jackson Meeks had an easy drop. I was a little disappointed how the receivers played the ball in the air. Even Oscar Dell put his very good hands. Whiffed on a back shoulder throw in the red zone from, I think it was Vandergriff or Beck, that was really well placed. And it was just, just disappointing to see that. And I know it's early in spring practice, but the receiving core didn't exactly stand out, in my opinion, during the you know three hours of practice that I got to watch. On defense, what I noticed was a lot of interior blitzes and simulated pressures. Neither of these are new if you've watched Georgia football. <laughs> it's been really big emphasis the last two years. I also noticed that we had a lot more one-high looks than we typically use. They were bringing not only the star down towards the box, but also one of our high safeties down to the box a lot more. Now, granted, a lot of that's because our offense is doing the 12 personnel thing that we do, but a lot more one-eye looks than typical that we typically saw to Georgia, and that's probably just a function of what the offense was running as they ran a lot of heavier sets. The other thing we saw from the defense was a heavy, heavy emphasis on turnovers. As you probably know, in practice, they don't tackle to the ground. They're supposed to wrap up the ball carrier, run their feet for two or three yards, and then when the whistle's blown, they let go. It's called thud. It's what you do universally in football from the high school level up. And what was happening, though, was the whistle would blow, and the receiver would take his steps, and they would just keep pounding and pounding and pounding in that ball, trying to rip it out. And they got a couple of receivers, and it pissed the offense off because the receivers are like, the whistle blew. I'm trying to run back in the huddle. Why are you still trying to get the ball? But, man, if they put it on the ground, Kirby was letting them have it. One of them he got on Lad McConkey, who gets thudded up, runs three or four steps, and then finally lets the ball go. And, man, two or three guys on defense jump on it, start running the other way, and Kirby's yelling. He's excited. And then he gets on to McConkey, and then he starts – he tells him, uh, B-Mac, talking about Coach Brian McClendon, the receivers coach, B-Mac, we got another fumble. That's two. Make sure you get him after practice. And I guess McConkey said something about his hand hurting, and he goes, oh, B-Mac, he's got an excuse. You show him what we think about excuses after practice. And that led to another observation, which is that Kirby Smart is ruthless. That dude gets on that microphone, and while I mentioned last year that he's a lot more reserved than he was like three or four years ago we went to go watch, he is coaching people up, and he does not give a you-know-what about your feelings. I don't know who he said this to, but there was one person in Kirby standing by the offense while during these reps. He said, you're a four-star just getting whipped by a no-star, talking about one of the walk-ons beating, I think, one of the defensive backs in a, in a, uh, on a route. And another route, a kid gets run past, and he says, you said you ran a 10-3. Boy, you lied to us. <laughs> and another one where he says, he said this one multiple times, how you been here four years and you still don't know where to go for these drills? And so Kirby just lets him have it. He gets on the coaches. B-Mac, he doesn't know what to do. Get him out. Get him out. Coach Brown, another DB, not thudding up. I mean, he is just letting people have it. And I tell you what, if you have thin skin, UGA is not the place for you. Smart is all about accountability. And, man, he is just tearing these kids a new one. But I will say this. He does it through constructive criticism. He's not just taking shots it's constructive like but every now and then he does take a shot you know somebody gets beaten he said but coach they told me i was a five star 
well, this ain't high school anymore, y'all. I mean, he just goes on and on, just cracking wise and letting these guys know that they're expected to be excellent and he will not allow them to be anything less. But overall, my takeaways, um, the offense is still a work in progress. They looked good in the passing game. The running game was a little more shaky. They did not run the ball particularly well on Thursday. In fact, they really got stuffed, but but really gassed the defense on Saturday, got the better of the defense. Their goal is to hold the offense to 4.6 yards per carry or less during their period. And the offense, I think, during one of the periods was averaging like nine yards a carry, just absolutely gassing. A lot of that on bad tackles, on bad tackling. And I can't say that a lot of these were missed tackles. A lot of these are what would have been broken tackles in the game where guys thud up and don't wrap up and they let the guy with the ball keep going because they're simulating what would happen in the game. But the front seven was absolutely filthy constant pressure in all of the passing drills. Not a lot of actual sacks because you're not letting Max touch the quarterbacks, but pressure from all ears, a lot of times the pocket collapsing, and because these quarterbacks are athletic, they're moving and getting away from what would be sacks from a lot of other quarterbacks, but there's a few times where the quarterbacks running, 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 and they're getting with the pressure, but Kirby just yelled sack because it's, like it's been like a five-second rep, and in a game that's going to be a sack. But the front seven is going to be good for our team. As much as I mentioned the secondary struggling, the front seven will be good. The offensive line, if they block they did on Saturday, quite impressive in the run game. The rest of it, we'll see how it comes together. If you were to ask me, the biggest concerns right now are establishing a go-to receiver besides Brock Bowers, who is still an absolute freak. Had a one-handed catch in, against perfect coverage with P.I. in the end zone, in the red zone drill. He literally is getting his left arm pulled out of socket, and he one-hand catches the ball and toe-taps the back line. It was stupid. He's a freak. Um, also, smaller than you think. Um, he looks like a really jacked wide receiver. He's actually much smaller than you think in the upper body, although he's got big old watermelon legs. Anyways, that's free. Um, but establishing go-to receiver and establishing, figuring out who that other corner is going to be because there's a lot of talent in them amongst the guys out there, but there ain't a Keely Ringo, and I don't think Kamari Lasser is going to be a Keely Ringo this year. For all his flaws, Keely Ringo was very, very good, even though he wasn't quite as good as I think some UJ fans might have thought. He was still very, very good. And I didn't see a Keely Ringo out there in our secondary right now. So, it'll be it'll remain to be seen what happens. That said, I think Georgia's going to be absolutely amazing at the safety nickel spots. As I think we might even be better than we were last year. And that's losing that's with us losing Christopher Smith, who was an All-American. So, I'm really excited about our safeties. But, overall, I think this team looks definitely behind where we were at this point last year. Which is to be expected with some of the coaching turnover and breaking in a new quarterback. But... Well, clear was the depth as just the level of athletes that we have on our third and fourth string was insane. And talking to one of my former students and players who is now at Georgia Strength Coach, who has been at Mississippi State the last few years, he said the biggest difference here is the ones are good, but these threes could start at Mississippi State. I thought that was a really interesting insight into where Georgia is as a program. So that in 20-ish minutes is my overview of spring football practice. I can't wait to come back with the guys, Dr. J and Scott the Status Ass in a couple weeks and give you a more full picture of the team through the G-Day game. This has been David Thayer from Tyron Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.